Welcome to This is for the CV, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. This is a podcast by Anthony and Rebecca, two professors in communication and political science, chatting about politics, pop culture, and the things in between. This week we talk about our voting process, the transition of the presidency, COVID-19 spikes in vaccines, and the early days of party infighting. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good. You? You're good. I am hanging in there. It's, it's a busy time, but yeah, I'll get through it. It's good. Yep. We're We've got a break next week we're coming on up. Downhill of a downhill. Semester's mm-hmm. over, y'all. I don't know if anybody told you whether you got stuff to do or not. It's the semester's over. Ooh. In some ways, it went so fast, and in other ways, it was the longest semester of my life. It went very quickly. It went very, very quickly. Yeah, quickly is the word, not fast. It went fast. I teach people things. (laughs) (laughs) Not grammar, I don't. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the, the couple of weeks leading up to the election, the week of the election, the week after, that moved very slowly. And those classes were tough just to hold those conversations and work through all that stuff. But we're on the other end of it now. So, yay. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? I have a list. You you gave me a list. <laughs> it, the list goes like this. Voter fraud, presidential transition, COVID spike, Ooh. and uh, Democratic infighting in the aftermath of the 2020 election. All right. We only have so, an hour. <laughs> I know. We'll see what we get to. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we don't tend to go off on tangents and talk a lot, oh so this should God. be easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so voter fraud, let's start there. You You mentioned that, you know, you can speak to process, and I think that's so important because at the root of all of these voter fraud claims and also conspiracy theories that are floating around and disinformation and misinformation is a fundamental lack of understanding about how our elections work. Mm. So I think it's worth having a conversation about how our elections work and what that process looks like and how decentralized it is and why that's probably a good thing. Okay. An analogy I heard that I think is pretty apt was basically like this. Imagine in your town, If on random streets in random places, there was just a pop-up business and everybody in the business was there for one day and they were going to have an inordinate amount of foot traffic. And then after the day was over, they were going to, you know, tear the place down and come back in a year. That's voting. And, (laughs) you know, state to state, county to county, city to city, it's it's different about where it's at, what, what you need how you get there, what kind of ballot there is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I've seen videos of people like, I filled out my ballot and then I feed it into a scanner and then I fax it to the... I'm like, what? You take the ballot and then you feed it through a machine and then the machine Mm -hmm. feeds, like, reads it and feeds it somewhere? Like, come on, coach. And then, you you know, you got the other stuff. People are marking the stuff with a Sharpie. And then in other places, Mm -hmm. we got the click wheel, right, in Texas with the machines that are old. But, But to me, better than a... 
a, a scanned document. I, I don't know. And so, you know, it's messy. And and yeah, there's going to be like, how, how do the ballots get to where they get counted? Well, somebody's going to pack up those ballots and like drive them over to the counting place like that. Yeah. Oh, I just saw a guy with a bag of ballots. Yeah, he's probably delivering the ballots to where they get counted. Like that, that that's how the sausage is made. I mean, that, that's how it goes. Yeah, so every county has an elections office. And so we call it different things. Sometimes you have a county clerk, like an elections clerk, sometimes an administrator. Sometimes they're appointed, sometimes they're elected. It looks different. Even within one state, it looks different. But that's kind of the point where there are federal election laws that are fairly basic. And then each state sets its own rules and laws and procedures. And then each county has its own elections office. And they count the ballots and they do internal audits. They send those numbers to the state. The state count or records those counts. Then they do internal audits across counties, certify a vote. And so it's worth saying that because sometimes the secretary of state, which is typically the name of the, the state official that's over elections in a state, sometimes that's an elected position and sometimes it's an appointed position. And so it's worth stating that there is huge variety among the states that Trump is suing over fraud in terms of many of them are Republicans or were appointed by Republicans. And he's suggesting that there's sweeping Democratic fraud in counties and states that are run by Republicans. So just some food for thought. Uh, I'm thankful that the election isn't close. All, all the Nietzsche. all the talk about the closeness of the election. This is a blowout election electorally uh, and popular vote wise. It's not as big of a blowout as we anticipated. That's what we talked about like a few weeks uh, a week ago. But right three oh six. I mean, it's the same margin he won by with with a higher as vote. As Kellyanne Conway said, three oh six historic. It, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> not historic, but <laughs> check out 270towin.com, Kellyanne. There's some maps. You should look at them. Um, but but it, it's clear what the what the president's game was. It's it's clear that he was aiming for a close election. And if there was a closer election, I mean, imagine if this was happening and it all came down to one state. His right, his arguments like would be much more valid, much mm -hmm. more credible if it was coming down to one state but it's not coming down to one state you're down in a bunch of different states by more yeah. than the margin of error like by a lot and if you look at historic trends of when recounts happen how many votes are likely to mm -hmm. to be adjusted i mean it's minimal and it's way outside of possibility of him winning and but you know do those recounts that's fine let the process work what worries me in the meantime is the president saying, I won the election, literally just saying that on Twitter over and over again. I uh, And then making all these claims of voter fraud, the emails are very aggressive. They're like, you need to fight. It's time for you to get mad. Take it to the streets. I mean, truly trying to incite violence is my take on it. These are the and internal campaign emails to supporters that you signed up for, right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, you want to know what's going on. Yeah. Sick fascination. Um, the radical left hates you, Rebecca. Don't you dare let them do this to you. Oh, wow. Stand up, fight. 
um, massive fraud. I'm also getting, you know, I also get the text. And for the last couple of weeks, I'll just get a text every once in a while that goes, we won big, huge win in Pennsylvania. And I've been following all these cases. And I'm like, wait, what did I miss? <sighs> and so at first I was looking because I was like, oh, I must have really missed something. Maybe there is some media bias. Maybe there's like some small area, but they're just blatant lies. Yeah. So sometimes there's literally not even a court hearing that day. Nothing happened, right? And they're like, we won today. I'm like, literally nothing happened today. Or sometimes it's they lost on everything they were arguing. And then they text, we won huge. Our our voter claim, uh, voter fraud claims are substantiated. I'm like, so the dial has been turned up on just the blatant and unabashed lying about voter fraud. And will it change the outcome of the election? Of course not. What worries me is how people believe it. And I understand why they believe it because their president is telling them to. When you have someone in this position, their words matter, they carry weight. And then you don't have enough Republicans pushing back. And I understand politics is a game and campaigning is to win. And so they're making calculated choices. But I mean, to the detriment of a lot of people, I think. I, yes, I'll just say that I've heard in circles and some of this I even agree with. I'm like, hey, for the, for, for a good two years of Trump's administration, the main narrative was this election was stolen and the Russians got it for him and that he's illegitimate as president. And, you know, I've even heard Hillary Clinton say that the election was stolen and that, you know, Donald Trump is illegitimate. And when we're talking about concessions and whatnot, our friend Stacey Abrams did not concede in Georgia. Now, she had her reasons. And I think Brian Kemp's a jerk. But Mm -hmm. he gamed the system in a legal way. And she knows that. And so she's like, oh, this is how we're going to play it? Well, I'm going to change Georgia forever, which is her right. I'm glad she did. I'm glad she stiff up her lip Mm -hmm. and we're going to do the thing. But yes, words matter everywhere. But them 73 million people that voted for the president, they're not. Again, we talked about this in a right country. I remember I saw footage of like a bunch of people boarding up their stuff because they thought that there was going to be a riot after the president lost and all his followers or supporters are going to be in the streets tearing up stuff. Center right country. Center right folks don't tear up stuff. They go back to work the next day. They're just like, yo, we love, like, yeah, I'm pissed about it, but I'm not about to be in these streets. Like the people that want to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, that's the far, 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 far corners of the 73 million that voted for Trump. As you get to the mean of that, the people he needs to be in the streets, then people are like, Mm -hmm. come on, coach. 80% of, 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 the population believes the president lost 80 percent i mean that's mm-hmm. that that's bipartisan right right no you're you make a good point another piece of uh, public opinion research is that 70 percent of republicans are worried about voter fraud now that could be because that is a republican platform mm. uh, about you know and it has been for a long time and it's been framed as voter fraud but that number has ticked up pretty significantly in light of this election. But that doesn't mean that they're the people on the far right showing up with AK-47s wrapped in their Donald Trump flags, screaming, lock her up outside of Hillary Clinton's house last night. Which did happen, what? by the way. Yeah, people were outside of Hillary Clinton's house screaming, lock her up last night. Man, they better be careful. That house is 
protected by the Secret Service. They will lay you down. <laughs> like yeah, you don't. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't know how this has anything to do with anything right now. But okay. But I mean that shows that kind of extremists aren't really interested in <laughs> what's going on the current moment, what process is. So. Um, I take your point that most people are accepting the results and probably ready to move on, even if they're disappointed, even if they're upset, even if they're still, you know, talking in terms that help their party, which I get. Democrats do that, too. Yeah, divided government. Joe Biden's going to be Joe Biden and find his way to the middle like he has for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the infighting is going to be the infighting and we'll see what's up in 2024. But that's, I mean, that's a calming, the fact that we signed up for nobody being able to really do anything right. except get through the virus. <laughs> like the only thing that we're really going to do is get through the virus and stop yelling at each mm-hmm. other. That is a win. That's a good thing. That's a goal. It's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Things that make me hopeful as well are some of the executive orders that are planned, which basically just reverse some of the stuff that Trump's done for immigration, but DACA protections, Mm -hmm. things like that, um, that no longer the stay in Mexico policies, just reversing a lot of those policies are are things that are going to have immediate tangible impact on people that have lived in fear and gone through all sorts of hell for the last four years. So that makes me hopeful. You're absolutely right in terms of passing any sweeping reforms. It just won't be able to happen, even if we, <laughs> depending on what happens in Georgia, and there's like a squeak by victory, the margin of majority in the in the Senate is going to be tiny if if the Democrats do get it. So yeah. we're going to need bipartisan support for anything that passes. And the, and the deciding vote in that scenario is Joe Manchin from West Virginia, a.k.a. Right. A Republican, like he a Democrat, but I've listened to Joe Manson. Joe Manson, Joe Manson's a center right Republican, like who just lives in West mm-hmm. Virginia. And if you're center right and not super right in West Virginia, you're a Democrat. <laughs> exactly. No, people run with the party that can get them elected. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's not. I mean, we said that about Como, right? Like. He sounds like a Republican half the time to me, but he's in New York. You can't run as a Republican in New York and win governor. So he's a Democrat. Right. What are your thoughts on Biden being blocked from different sessions, information sessions and, you know, briefings? I find it dangerous. Mm -hmm. I find it to be dangerous uh, just because. Now, granted, thankfully, this isn't a new administration it's 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 restoring Fair point it's restoring politics to what it used to be before this all happened it's not like whoever joe biden's people are shadowing are really going to be taking notes and being like oh yes tell me how you did this because in reality they're going to do the opposite of what donald trump like it's not like anybody's going to continue on with 85 90 percent of what's going on so they they have yeah. a clear idea of what they're going to do they just need access to like stuff like, you know, funding and office space briefings. and intelligence briefings and email addresses mm-hmm. so they can get to work. Mm-hmm. Right. But, y- y- you know, th- none of this is at all shocking to me that he's being the way he's being. What's shocking to me is that people are continuing to carry that Trump water even in defeat. 
that's the part that I'm like, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys so scared? Well, especially because it was a good year to be a Republican, but a bad year to be Donald Trump. Exactly. So toss him out <laughs> and restore your party because people actually didn't hold you accountable for him, which is, I don't know how you did it, but you should take that as a W and stop associating yourself with him. Well, they're greedy. They're, they see that 73 million and they're like, heck man, ain't nobody we ever ran going to come sniff that again. We, 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 we want to make sure that 68 of those million stay. You yeah. know, so we could compete mm -hmm. going forward. And and what happens if he goes on the offensive against us and, and mobilizes his base against us and splits us? Now we're marginalized to the hinterlands forevermore. And that's scary, too. Yeah. Um, speaking of Republicans and Senate, did you see Lindsey Graham? Which time? Or Georgia's Secretary of State saying Lindsey Graham uh, in put pressure on him to change, throw throw out votes yeah, in their recount. Yeah, I, saw that. I was like, hey, guys, you're really worried about voter fraud. <laughs> this would be an example. Uh, I heard somebody who's close to Lindsey Graham describe Lindsey Graham, and they were like, yeah, Lindsey Graham's, he's a number two. He wants to be power adjacent because he knows he can't hold it. So for the longest time, he was power adjacent because his guy was John McCain. John McCain dies. Right. I need a new guy to be power adjacent. Well, that guy's Donald Trump. So I'm going to be the guy next to the guy. And whatever that means for me, because I don't really have any concern about being consistent or having any moral uh, bastions. To myself, I'm I'm a politician and, and I want to be next to power. And so whoever, wherever, that's where I'll be. Hmm. Yeah, I think that is a good explanation as, as to why you have all of the pretty f almost funny videos of, you know, him saying things like, we would never do this to a Supreme Court justice, <laughs> you know, in an election year. And then of, he's like, hold us accountable. And then, of course, they did that and saying things like, you know, Biden's the best man I've ever met, I've ever known. And then be like, he is terrible. <laughs> Just like, complete night and day. But that, I mean, that makes sense. If you're your power adjacent argument. Well, we've got, let's see, is it 11? Don't quote me on that. We've got a few states that are officially certified their votes, though. So we're moving forward. We're trucking along. Yeah, this, this, this election is... I mean, it's, it's in the bag. And and when history looks back on it, people are going to be like, wow, a lot of people voted. Mm -hmm. A lot of people voted. And when they did, this guy got significantly more votes, including a fifty over a 50% share of the electorate, which ain't nothing, and smashed you in the Electoral College and flipped states that you had in your pocket in 2016. Mm -hmm. Took Pennsylvania, took Michigan. Mm -hmm. Right. Takes Wisconsin, takes takes Arizona, takes Georgia. Ugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Flip states that Trump previously flipped, but also states that were had a legacy of being Republican. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Arizona, Georgia. Come on, man. Come on. Let's be for mm -hmm. real. Mm -hmm. I hear you.
Oh, I one more thing on the transition. Do you do you think the president runs in 2024? No. I don't. I think he'll talk about it a lot and raise money off of it because a portion of all donations right now are going to the RNC, which is another reason why Republicans are being quite quiet, I think. Particularly the RNC is being quite quiet about, you know, accepting and being vocal about the results of the election. Mm. They're making a lot of money off of this voter defense fund. <laughs> A lot of money, about grift. 30% is going to the RNC. So they're like, all right, let's let this play out. We're making some money uh, for our war chest from in two years. Ugh. So that that's an aside. I don't think he, he runs. I think he like Kanye's us for a while and talks about how he's going to do it constantly, but then ultimately he won't do it. Mm. Okay. I mean, I think there's... We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I've been wrong before. <laughs> I think there's some caveats. I mean... If he makes it through the legal gauntlet of New York, the Eastern and Southern District, if he's a free man, I think that True. plays. And I, I, I think, I think if we're talking about President Harris, I think, I think if something happens to Joe Biden, which, I, I mean, I've said this before, I don't, I don't think he serves the whole term, and if he doesn't, I, I think the president would relish running against Kamala Harris. I don't know how he does against her, and I don't know what four mm-hmm. years from now looks like, but I think I think he would run again. I, I think from an attention standpoint, he just can't take it. But at that point, how old would he be? He'd be 78, right? Like mm-hmm. 79-ish, something like that. Something like that. He's three years younger than Biden? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be interesting. I, I think there's going to be a pull for him. I can see why why he will want to. I don't think he'll end up doing it. And if he does, I don't I don't know if he makes it through the primary again. You're kidding me, right? Even though he's like the most charismatic no, and this and that. No, if he runs, that. he's the nominee, Rebecca. They're going to get the heck out of his way. They're they're going to get out of his way. So I think he would win if it's <laughs> A primary that's not run like Democrats run primaries, right? Where it's just like people vote and we see who gets it. But I can see a scenario where, depending on where we're at in four years, that Republicans really move against him. Oh, okay. And so they do what they did to what the Democrats have done to Bernie Sanders a couple of times, where they're like, hey, you, 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 you all drop out, endorse this candidate. We'll give you you know, cabinet positions. I can see something like that playing out. Bernie Sanders couldn't win South Carolina. Donald Trump got 73 million votes. Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders you. are on two different planets electorally. Like, let's be for real. I'm not comparing the candidates to each other. I'm comparing the party strategies to each other, where you have, there are ways to for a party to get the most popular candidate out of their way. And that might be something. Although right now, we're not seeing any sort of move against him, even though the stakes are very low. So the stakes would be higher for that in 2024, I think. So uh, maybe we see it happen. I don't even want we to. We shall I, see. I know I brought it up. I don't even want to consider it. because it, it, I know. I don't <laughs> want to think about 2024. I'm just trying to get through 2020. <laughs> real. I'm like, are we even going to be alive? We're, we're tired. Not at this rate, man. We're tired. 2020 is giving me some wrinkles. <laughs> Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
some pounds and some wrinkles. Yeah. <laughs> some heartburn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, bringing up 2024. <laughs> what are you doing to us? <laughs> We're talking transition. I mean, I, 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 heard somebody, I heard somebody say Donald Trump's going to announce for re-election or he's going to announce for presidency on Inauguration Day. <laughs> like, what? That I can see play out, right? <laughs> because you got to, he's got to, like, preserve something. So he told us, oh, this election's going to be fraudulent long before Election Day. And that was the rhetoric because, you know, he thought it would be close. And... He's doing exactly what he told us he was going to do. So he needs some sort of a way to excuse away a loss because he cannot lose. And so voter fraud, he didn't really lose. He won. And then, oh, well, I'm going to run again anyway, so it won't matter. I think are the only ways he, like, can rationalize conceding. But he won't ever officially concede. I agree. And I don't think he'll be there at Inauguration Day. No. Mm -mm. No not gonna happen i mean he's thrown out all other norms why <laughs> why stop now yeah i'm gonna sit here for an hour and listen to you go in on my presidency yeah i got better stuff to do yeah hard pass now one thing that is worrying me about you know his lame duck presidency is he's trying to get us to go to war with iran again i i think i think donald trump is pretty steadfast and absolutely not going to war. He's one of the few Republican presidents who did not embroil us in conflict. Hey, and you're right. I got to give props for their due. <laughs> um, you're right. He said a lot of incendiary yes. things. He made a lot yes. of threats, but there were, there were very few actions to back it up. You know, I read a ton of and... books on this administration. You know, I have. They come to <laughs> yeah. him. They say, Mr. President, we need to invade, blah, 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 blah. And his next question is, and how the hell do we get out? Every time. Mm -hmm. And they don't have an answer. He's like, well, I don't want to talk about this then. And they get pissed. But he's always like, well, and then what's our, how are we going to get out? And how does this help us? And they're like, oh, uh, uh, and, and it's like, yeah, well, we're not doing it then. Mm -hmm. And from, for a Republican, like, that's rare. The, the knock on conservatives is like, you guys are a bunch of warmongers. That, you know, start wars when there shouldn't be none. Right. Not the Donald, because he's right. not really a Republican. He's not really, you know. No. He's self-interested. That's <laughs> what he is. Which sometimes works to our advantage and oftentimes does not. Okay. Well, as much as we have talked about COVID on this podcast, and as much as I would love to never <sighs> talk about it again, we are in a huge spike and we have more cases than we've ever had at a moment in time before. We are way worse than we originally than when we originally went into lockdown. Oh, yeah. And there are some cities in our state that are, are just in a dreadful condition, Lubbock and El Paso coming to mind specifically. And of course, Lubbock, you know, being close to us because that's where our institution is. El Paso being close to me since I, I lived there for quite a few years. And it's it's bleak. It's bleak. What's your sense of what's going on? Um, well, you know, with this exponential growth idea, Dr. Fauci has said over and over again, when the spikes come, it, it really matters what the number of infection in the nation was at the time of spike. And so mm -hmm. if, you know, if you're averaging 20,000 cases a week 
and then you spike. Okay. But we've never made it back down to 20,000 cases a week. And so it's like when you're going to spike and you're at 80,000 cases a week, well, now you see, oh, we're over 140,000 cases a week. Over, over, I mean, a day, over 140,000 cases a day, over a million cases a week last week. And it's like, man, exponential growth off that. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we're better at treating it. You're not as Absolutely. likely to die. Back in April, it was more of an experimentation thing. We know, like, okay, we're not going to put you on a ventilator right away. We're going to lay you on your side. We have these serums. We have these these antibodies. We, we, we have some, some stuff in our tool shed. But it doesn't help when, again, hospitals are getting flooded. And you got to right. triage who gets the mm-hmm. treatments and who doesn't. I mean, that that's never where you want to be. Mm-mm. And that's exactly where El Paso is. They are strategizing who gets care and who doesn't right now because hospitals are completely full they've opened the convention center as a spillover hospital they've got jailed people moving bodies from the hospitals to refrigerated morgues they have 10 that they brought in mobile morgues and the, the pictures of that are haunting it's a good thing this is a podcast so you don't have to look at them but they're it's haunting. And there's just, there's so many systemic failures for that to be the outcome. And El Paso is a big city. El Paso is a very active commuter-based city. And a lot of working class jobs that aren't aren't good at adjusting to being at home jobs, right? They're not like, oh, look, I mean, there's a university there, of course. But for a city's for basically a city's job market not to be overwhelmed by education when there's a ma- major university speaks to the size and the diversity of the city. So there's just a lot of movement. There's also um, just the propensity for misinformation there has spread quite a bit. So I've, I've got friends there that have been doing podcasts like this and trying to debunk some of that, having nurses and doctors and surgeons and epidemiologists and just trying to push good information out over and over and over to combat all of the misinformation. And, you know, when you've been dealing with this and you're fatigued and, you know, we've been talking about this since March, if one person says, oh, you'll be totally fine. Mm -hmm. This is overblown. You know, human nature is to want to cling to that because that's a more convenient truth. And so, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of reasons why it's spiking and I'm trying, I was just talking to my friend Christina about this and she'll be on our podcast next month. And she reminded me of this and she said, it doesn't really do us a lot of good to blame individuals when you know these are systemic failures these are government failures because most people are going to take the rules and the guidelines from the government and fudge a little bit but when they're so lax like they are in texas like you can go to bars and restaurants and gatherings under a certain amount well the fudging of that becomes we're basically just open. open and so they need to be really strict because then the fudging isn't so detrimental and so, mm-hmm. and I take her point, I think it's a solid one. And so that's kind of where our focus should be rather than like screaming at the person who had a baby shower or something, even though it feels good, it feels self-righteous to be like, put your mask on. What are you doing? <laughs> um, 
And look, I'll be the first one to do both of those things <laughs> and feel, feel very entitled for doing it. But we also live in a state where as El Paso is under this huge spike, they're asking for help. They're asking for resources. The healthcare workers reports are just absolutely devastating. What did the state do? Well, they spent time and resources suing the county judge and saying, oh, no, I'm sorry, your lockdown order is too strict. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. And then when they won in the state court of appeals, then Dan Patrick, oh, Dan Patrick, the, the uh, Texas attorney general who once again has been accused of fraud. I can't keep count at the number of times at this point. He essentially did a victory lap and released a statement calling the county judge a tyrant and how this was a great day. I mean, just the disconnect there of being like, ha ha, we won. You suck. Sorry, your people are dying. We don't care. You're not allowed to have strict orders. So if we're talking about laying blame and causes, at least today, mine's on this, the state government. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, that was a lot of ranting. <laughs> no, I mean, I I believe, I believe in the news around the vaccine with Pfizer and Moderna. I believe in those mm -hmm. vaccines. Uh, yeah, those are hopeful. I, I I I happen to know a couple people in those trials, and you know, the, the things are moving. And but again, yeah, when you start talking about the transition, it's like, hey. If my brother has this analogy, he's like, if I had to hand somebody a note card, if I had to hand every American a note card, what would my strategy be for that? How, how would I mm. get a note card in the hand in that? I, I can't put it in their mailbox. I got to put it in their hand. That's a vaccine. And with a, and with both mm. of these, I think you need two vaccinations. So I got to give two people two note. I got to give everybody two note cards at different times, at different <laughs> times in the in the year. To make this happen. Now, I had no faith in the Trump administration to be able to do that. I had no faith. You couldn't even handle, like, masks. How the hell are you going to handle the actual vaccine that's got to be kept at, like, 94 degrees Celsius or whatever, you know, negative, whatever it is. You're, you're going to have yeah. the infrastructure to build that in. So, yeah, Joe Biden, go get Ron Klain, who, you know, handled Ebola, to, to make this happen. We need, mm -hmm. we need, like, adults in the room. And they're in the room. But like the door, the, the, the door to the room they need to be in is locked because, you know, somebody won't say I lost. And so it's just like, we got to be bigger than this because, you know, we got to get this vaccine. Right. And this people. is time. And time equals people's lives. And, and, and we need them to actually believe that it's going to yes. work and we'll yes, actually let exactly. somebody stick them in the arm. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, the horror of, yeah, we got all these vaccines, but nobody's in line to take them. Th that's mm -hmm. my fear. That 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 the, the the fear of them actually working or, or it, that that's not the thing. The thing that I I'm concerned with is when they're people out, not trusting them and refusing to take them. Are are people going to be with it? Because I mean I don't know if you have any friends. I have friends that won't even take their flu shot. Me too. Me too. I have students that are like that. My lord. <laughs> um. Yeah, full on anti-vaxxers, and. You know, they coast off of the rest of us because we have herd immunity for measles and mumps and polio, but we don't have herd immunity for COVID. And in order to get there, we actually need enough of us to be inoculated. So that's why yeah, those that, percentages, that, I think that's a legitimate concern. That's why those percentages were so promising. 
you know, they were saying early on. 90 and 95. Yeah, yeah. they were saying early on it's going to be like 40, 50 percent. And if that's the mm-hmm. case, then you need more people to be vaccinated. But if it's at 90, 94, <laughs> it don't really, I mean, hey. Right. I'm going to get vaccinated and still keep my mask on and I'm going to move on smartly. I'll continue on with my life. I won't lock myself in the sure. house if I got the vaccine and a mask. I don't care what y'all do. But that puts you at risk until the virus dissipates. Enough people have but it, if you yeah. But if we're stepping into a realm where, you know, 200,000 people a day, 250,000 people a day got the COVID, that's a lot of virus in the in the in in, in America. That's a lot of virus mm-hmm. in America, and we're inching up towards, dude. One percent of America is going to be infected with the virus. Like, no, no, thank you. Like, that's just too much virus. Mm-hmm. It's just too much. <laughs> it's just virus. too much you virus to You're be right. talking about distancing helping you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of this, because obviously we don't have uh we we don't have these vaccines yet. Pfizer's we won't have access to first. Moderna we will in terms of we being the country. So we're about to go on Thanksgiving break. And I've seen a lot of talk about stay home, don't stay home, have it, don't have it. And those seem to be like the two options that people are given. And I think that that is also concerning me because if you scream at people not to see their family and they already haven't been on lockdown, Mm -hmm. they're just going to have like their huge celebration. Um, But this is a meme because I know you're not on social media. So it's like it's all beautifully decorated with little flowers and has a cream background. And it has been making the rounds. Before you cancel Thanksgiving and Christmas with your loved ones, remember that this may be the last holiday you have. We are not guaranteed a single minute on this earth. Stop living in fear and embrace life to its fullest. Damn. Yup. Now, whoever whoever's the crafter of that message, they got every right to craft it. People got every right to believe it. Um, I don't. I'm not trying to hasten anything. I'm a tr- I'm trying to live to fight another day. So mm-hmm. everybody got to make their own decisions. And because I know that people are going to make decisions on the YOLO tip. which I mean, you know, YOLO is not a strategy. You only live once. That's not a strategy. I'm not, yeah. I'm not in on that. You're right. And yours is going to be a lot shorter. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not in on that. I like, I, I, I got, yeah. I got a lot of love for Drizzy Drake, but I'm not in on that as a life course <laughs> philosophy because YOLO means I never go to college. YOLO means I never finish college. YOLO means I'm not talking to you right now. You got to have a right. plan. You don't make any sacrifices <laughs> for a greater good ever because you don't care. It's a very individualistic approach to living. Yeah. And we've talked in the past, you specifically in our last episode about the harm that that can bring about. It's a persuasive message and it mm-hmm. will land with people. You said it's making the rounds. It does not shock me that it's making the rounds. Yeah, it's it's really resonating really resonating with a a certain group of people. I I would just caution. I would just say, hey, there's people out there whose Thanksgivings and Christmas will never be the same because people died. And you could even argue they died prematurely back of the COVID. Mm -hmm. And now these holidays are going to... If you have a loved one that died in 2020, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around that going forward and try to reconcile those facts especially if they died of this virus. And Mm -hmm. to see something like that on social media means 
hey, yeah, your loved one that died, not only do we not care about that, they might even die for nothing because we're not even going to we're not even going to take the time to consider that we might be causing that in other families or mm -hmm. that we might be causing that in our own families. Because if your mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and Christmas celebration turned into a super spreader event because you was on that YOLO tip, how you going to live with that? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I want to protect myself, but selfishly, I do not want to live with the even inkling of an idea that I gave this to somebody else. Yeah. I'm not here for that. The most devastating COVID accounts are about exactly that. It's not about losing a loved one, even though that is devastating, one of the worst things we can experience in life. It's not about having it themselves. It's not about the costs of lockdown, and those are great on many people. It's, I didn't take this seriously. We had this gathering. My father-in-law is dead. I wasn't invited to the funeral. Oh. Like just, just rough oh. stuff like that. Oh, because only we could only have ten people. I didn't make the cut. Um, people that survivor's guilt of my mom got it. These are the things she said. Just rough, and then just having to live with that. That's such a burden. And so, I don't want to, you know, just hate on people and make it to like you take this seriously. You don't. Cause I don't think that message is working. Mm. It's making people more rigid in their positions mm. of that YOLO life essentially. Um, and, and it's particularly being, I think manipulated in a negative way among people of faith because they're like, well, you know, God's in control. We have a higher power. Yeah. We don't live in fear, yeah. all great messages, but how do you take that to, and therefore I don't take care of my neighbor. I don't treat my neighbor as myself. I don't look out for them. I don't think about long-term sacrifices. And so. If I could just respond. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would. I, I, those, those that are the faithful that read uh, scripture and want to quote scripture to people and, and, and use scripture to, to judge other folks. I would just, Hey, you've heard of take, it. Take, take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes because in that text, it explains that life is random and you can do everything right and die young. You could be the worst human in the world and live to be 120. There, there is no pattern by which you get to justify being on this earth. And the message is you should get right with your creator because you could be gone in an instant. I would also tell people to read about this account from Jesus where he, people are talking to him about the injustice of life. And he's like, hey. You know, did you think that those people who the Tower of Siloam fell on were any more righteous than anybody else? This tower fell on a group of people in Jesus's mm. day. And he's like, you think that tower fell on them because they were being punished for some type of sin? No, that's just life. Mm -hmm. But unless you repent, you're going to likewise perish. And so using faith, like faith in this realm of earth, in this random realm where where people live, grow, plateau, decline, and die. You can't be looking for, for that stuff. And just because God knows something is going to happen doesn't mean he wills it to happen. We still have free choice. We still have agency over those things. And if God wanted a bunch of robot people, there wouldn't be any such thing as an atheist. They, they would, we would all be in lockstep behind his being and his deity, but he isn't, he, he, that's not who he is. He's like, I want people to choose me freely. Well, how do I do that? Well, they got to be in the world and the world needs to move and breathe as it ought. 
And people should have agency over their lives. And if they want to seek after me, great. And if they don't, great. We'll settle up at the end. So to say, oh, God's in control of everything, it's like, ah, you know, that's a cop out. That's what people say they haven't read nothing. That's what people say that read that much of the Bible and want to start preaching to folks. Read the whole thing. Read the whole thing. It's gold. Drop in some knowledge. You got to look at this stuff holistically. You can't just pick a verse out and be like, oh, hey, well, I'm good now. No. Mm-hmm. No, there's a lot of verses that could just excuse a whole lot of crazy behavior. Oh, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Oh, I'm done. Oh, yeah, there's a whole lot left in the Bible than that. You should probably read the whole thing. Not a buffet. <laughs> I don't know if we have time to talk about fighting in the parties. We could preview it. There's already recriminations happening in both parties recriminations. about what went wrong, what went right, whose fault, what was. Mm-hmm. So I guess briefly, the Democratic Party, there was a call that was recorded and disseminated <laughs> where we've got li- leaked, yeah, <laughs> where we've got a moderate candidate blaming progressives that for the fact that she almost lost. And so the, those divisions really started to come out and shots are being fired. And so moderates were upset that they've been labeled and associated with socialism and they blame progressive candidates within the party for that happening. And what's happening in the Republican Party in terms of divisions? Oh, it's just what kind of party are we going to be and who's going to speak for it and what's going to happen post Trump and Mm -hmm. who are those leaders going to be and how are they going to shun some of this stuff while holding on to the base? And then are we going to still be the party of division or not? Uh, I think the point you bring up about that moderate candidate, moderates got to thank their lucky stars for the extreme views in their party. Otherwise they wouldn't be able to be moderate. There is no moderate lane in either party without the fringes and so you Mm. don't get to stand and say no i'm 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 more moderate no you would be radical if not for the fringe now the fringe is gonna left to right of you the fringe pulls people apart and makes the center more or less of what it but still like you know you can fight about it but you know progressives in progressive districts won handily and exactly you know they ain't going nowhere so you got to figure out a way to work with them Right. Candidates run in the di- in their district, right. right? Like they run to their electorate. And so moderate candidates need to be moderate because of that. But to tell progressives not to be progressive when their electorate is, that's, that's not the solution. No, that's not the solution. That's not it. Because they all won re-election. Handily. And new progressive candidates. Easily, yeah. exactly. And new progressive candidates won as well in the House specifically. And so it's it's easy and it's silly and it's cheap to just be like, oh, it's their fault within your party. And that's that's been a weakness of the Democratic Party for a while. I think the Republican Party has done a much better job after losses or very slim wins <laughs> of going back and being like, okay, what went wrong? How are we going to game it? What are we going to do? Those conversations normally go well. Whether they actually act on those things you know, is to be seen because in Bush's days, their conversations were, we need to be more inclusive of all races. We need to really um, go after the Hispanic vote. We need to be more careful on our immigration rhetoric. That obviously isn't how things play right. out. Uh, 
<clears throat> if you were paying attention the last four years. But that was a goal, at least at that time. Whereas um, Democrats have in the past not done quite as good of a job of really self-reflecting. Like, why did we lose in 2016? Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about well, things to change to do that. And part of it is tough because Democrats want to be a big tent party. Yeah. And therefore, it's tough because you can end up seeming like you stand for nothing. And so, you know, messaging and reclaiming issues like the economy are really important. But your point that those progressive candidates won handily is a good one because some of the pushback was from the progressives after they started getting attacked was, well, why don't you go look at how you ran your campaign? Because you don't work as hard as we did. You didn't do any of these things. You phoned it in and now you're trying to blame us. And then the other point that they made was, look at all of these ballot initiatives that are more progressive. They passed even in states that went for Trump. Florida is an example. Florida approved a ballot initiative to raise the minimum wage to $15. It also went for Trump. Mm-hmm. There are many, any state that had marijuana on its ballot, it passed. Some of those states went blue. Some of those states went red. And uh, Oregon, Oregon, of course, is blue, but they decriminalized possession, small levels of possession for all narcotics and are spending more money on treatment. And so like progressive policies are, at least in some places, pretty acceptable to people as long as they're not tied to individual candidates. But if they're just the ideas, it seems to work. So I think there's something there for the Democratic Party to to think about going forward. Yeah. Okay. But but that'll be a preview. We'll see how things are going next time. Yeah, for sure. We need to have this discussion more broadly on that topic yeah, specifically. Yeah, because those are just hot takes from us and, and there's more to say and, and that's a little bit limited. But And more polling is rolling in about how the electorate broke. And so as we gather mm-hmm. that data, I think there'll be more to say, too. Yes. And there'll be more to say about polling just yeah. on its own as well. Yeah. Once we finally get, you know, final, final results, we can see where polls were off and why and, and think about that. Because I think there's a lot of, of things to think about in terms of why is polling not working. And my very quick hot take is that one of but only one of the reasons is when a candidate or when a president says polls are fake, don't trust them, people are less likely to take them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you've got just like a bias in terms of your sampling pool, but there's lots of stuff going on there. So Anthony, would you like to hit us with the quote of the week? I would. Last weekend, I was able to watch Hamilton on Disney Plus, And I have a quote from Hamilton, King George, because when push comes <laughs> to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. This has been This is for the CV. Thanks for listening, Mom. This is for the CV is a Larson and Lestrat production. Editing done by Rebecca Larson. Music performed by Issa Black. Thanks, man.